Good morning from WKYT News. I'm Bill Bryant and we welcome you to Kentucky Newsmakers. Hope you're enjoying your weekend. Today more of our campaign 2022 coverage. Later we'll be joined by Fayette County Coroner Gary Ginn. He's hoping to fend off a challenge from Larry Owens. That is coming up later. But first, Lexington Mayor Linda Gorton is here as she is seeking re-election. Gorton is running on her record over the last four years and her experience in city government that goes back to the 1990s. A career registered nurse, Gorton's professional career met the moment when COVID caused havoc. She's also pushed projects along like the town branch, park, hiking trails, dog parks, lots of other initiatives. But a major challenge for Gorton and the city has been growing gun violence and personnel shortages within law enforcement. Gorton faces Councilman David Kloiber in the November election. He was with us last week. Today we welcome the mayor. Thank you for coming. We appreciate it. Thank you, Bill. Good to be here. When you look back on the four years as mayor of a city of uh, 330,000 people, you may have a more exact count. Uh, what uh, do you? Uh, what makes you say that you want another four years of doing this job? You know what I learned is it's a really good fit for me, and e even with the pandemic and all the economic roller coaster we were on, all of those things, it's a wonderful fit for me because. I'm very people focused naturally and in my nursing profession, of course. And to me, that's what government should be, is people focused. As long as we keep our eye on the ball with serving people, we can't go wrong, I don't think. And so I, I've said to my husband so many times on my way to work, I say, I'm going to work. It's going to be a good day. I love it. It's a great fit. Well, let's get to the issue that is yeah. front of mind for most mm -hmm. voters right now. Lexington has uh, had back-to-back -back years of record homicides, as you know, uh, more than 100 other shootings across the city this year. How frustrating is it to you that despite several efforts, uh, the violence goes on and has, has now spread across the city into other neighborhoods uh, uh, around the, the community. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, we are following what we're seeing nationwide. We do have some differences here, and, and it is frustrating. You know, it's not, people say to me, this isn't Lexington. Um, what we are seeing here are some good things, and they have to do with overall violent crime. Now, people need to understand that includes not only homicides, it includes assault, it includes rape, it includes the worst of the worst. We are on a downward trend here by about 4%, and we've been following it for several years, and that's a good thing. We're, you mentioned gun violence. We are down in shootings. We're down in gun homicides. We have a lot of those data points that we follow. The sticky one is the big category of homicides. And when we don't talk about it in the context of what all it involves, we have, we have 12 right now domestic violence homicides. We had zero this time last year. If you don't talk about these components, you miss the big picture. And so what we're doing is putting together, um, and we've already put them together and started them, quite a few efforts to target that sort of thing that's embedded in there. Um, I am confident we can bring this down, and of course all our efforts, we never know what we prevented, right? 
with One Lexington, with the flock cameras, with all the things that the police are doing in terms of community policing. We've, we have been a community policing um, city for decades where we're very community focused on police, knowing who's in their neighborhoods, knowing the business owners, knowing the crime patterns, et cetera. So it's, it, it's an interesting and complex dynamic crime is. And so we don't know what we've prevented, but we know we're on a little bit of a trend here that we um, continue to try to put a stop Well, to. as you know, the election season can be tough. It and can. Uh, <laughs> your, challenger, really? your challenger, David Kloiber, uh, accuses you in an ad of being stuck in the past <laughs> with policies. Uh, he pushes something he calls a Lexington version of group violence prevention, or GVI. Uh, you have said that's not right for Lexington. What is your main opposition to it? Well, I have to say, I, it's funny he thinks I'm stuck in the past since I led us through a pandemic, which required a lot of creativity. But um, to your question, um, what we use here is community violence intervention, not group violence intervention. There's a big difference. And the Department of Justice right now is recognizing that community violence intervention is the way to go. You can tailor it toward your own city. The group violence intervention, if we didn't feel that it had a uh, negative effect on some of our communities of color, we would certainly be willing to try it and purchase the program. But we don't feel that's right for Lexington, and so we've tailored ours uh, focusing around the community. One Lexington basically does this by having community activists who are working with the shooters and the victims, and they've got partners throughout the community doing this work. We are gradually, Bill, starting to see a decrease in the youth gun violence. And what our community violence intervention is doing is it's going right to the root causes. When you look through government right now, almost everything we do, other than maybe garbage pickup and some things like that, has a direct relationship on violence. I'm thinking of affordable housing. I'm thinking of our homeless efforts. I'm thinking of, you know, all those kinds of social programs that we've partnered with people on. They all affect it. Law enforcement uh, across the country has a, has staffing issues. Yes. You have just come from an event where there was where there were a lot of retirements within mm -hmm. the police department. Uh, about 85 officers short or so mm -hmm. in Lexington. Another uh, public safety concern is the E911 dispatcher and call taker shortage. Why is it hard in a city of Lexington size to recruit and retain? Uh, those first responders and emergency mm -hmm. personnel? The first thing I will say is they are very difficult jobs. And in 2020, we had a lot of the community who rose up and said a lot of negative things about public safety workers. We all remember that. And so there has been a little bit of a drop-off in the number of people who want to do those jobs. What we've been doing now is raising the pay, We've been looking at ways that we can give them um, more uh, components of their work that help make them more satisfied. These are stressful jobs, and you know, we can't do our 
policing or our fire without the E-91 call takers. I've been out there many times over the years to talk with them. They, most of them love their job. They know they're important in the process of public safety. And so we are recruiting. Well, and you talk about trying to make their jobs tolerable, but in some cases we understand they're working 14-hour shifts yes, at this point. Yes, they're working heavy-duty hours, as are the people at the jail. Yeah. And um, one of the things we've ramped up big time is the recruiting. And we're going about it in a different way, kind of targeting younger people, people outside the norm, you know, where we would normally look. We've had a kiosk out at the mall, which has been actually very successful, bringing people in who sign up for job interviews and that kind of thing. We're just uh, thinking outside the box in terms of our recruitment. Most people, um, and you kind of touched on it, don't leave because of money. And uh, most people, you know, they'll leave a job because of they're not happy or not satisfied. And so we've done a lot to work with those sorts of employees to find out what will make it better. And of course, the one big thing is fewer hours. Yeah. Let's talk about some other <coughs> issues in the community. Affordable housing uh, certainly uh, is an issue. Uh, many can't afford to purchase or rent. Mm -hmm. The group Lexington for Everyone suggests opening up more areas for development. You have said previously that that is very touchy and, and might not work even if you did it. Mm -hmm. Well, the thing about it is in 1996, the uh, growth boundary in Lexington was expanded by about 5,400 acres. And there's no evidence that any affordable housing was produced from that. It's People use that as a direct relation, they say expand the boundary, we'll get affordable housing. It doesn't work that way. The developers who are dedicated to affordable housing have to work really hard to match the money that the city puts into the program and they pull in matching money from lots of different sources so that they can make their development affordable. Now since 2014, which is when we uh, the council created the affordable housing fund. We have built or rehabbed almost 3,000 units. And you may remember that I recommended to the council that we put 10 million in our ARPA funds for affordable housing, which they did. And so we have that plus the 2 million in the regular budget. And we are just continuing to have really good projects. So it's not a direct correlation that way. With the evictions and the, yes. and the rentals, uh, and again you have a program for that and, so, and uh, considerable money has gone there, but is mm -hmm. it enough? We're hearing of a, a, a thousand evacuation, uh, ev evictions mm -hmm. a, a month or so. Yes. It, people continue to have issues and uh, one of the things that's directly related to that is workforce. And we've been focused on not just, you know, giving money to prevent eviction because that was very important and is still is. And our program for that received a lot of federal accolades because of how we rolled it out and how we're doing it. But we realize these are folks who some cases need job training. 
they need to find a better job. So we've stood up our WorkLex, which is a big partnership of several businesses that train people to write resumes, to give interviews, how to look you in the eye and shake your hand and those kinds of things. We also had our big first ever expungement clinic slash job fair. The people who went through that had their records expunged if they were eligible and went straight to these businesses across the room and signed up for job interviews. Now that makes a big difference and helps some of these folks who can't afford them. You rent. have appointed a mental health advisory group as well. What yes. is your expectation from them? I have big goals here. We know that many of our issues with violence as well as homelessness are related directly to mental health issues. And so in the summer, we had a lot of conversations with some of our partners in the community. And I've just stood up, we had our first meeting this week, my mental health advisory work group. And it's made up of partners like New Vista, the University of Kentucky, Eastern State Hospital, our police, our fire, our, you know, various folks like that. And one of the first things we're going to do, Bill, is really exciting. We're going to assess our community for the resources that we have and for the gaps that we have because we don't know 100% what we need and then we'll move forward based on that. Uh, clear up uh, where you are on whether or not the urban county government has uh, local responsibility in enforcing uh, the trigger law, the abortion trigger mm -hmm. law that was passed by the state legislature in Kentucky that is now in effect after the Roe v. Wade ruling in at the Supreme Court level. Yes, I'm. Uh, that is clearly in the hands of the state and um, that sort of, um, you called it enforcement. Of course, the state relies on our police to enforce laws. We enforce local laws, mostly. Um, so Have you given them any direction? No. I think it's a slippery slope. I, I, my chief and I talk about priorities all the time. We know that, that violent crime is a high priority. I think 99% of people who live here would agree with that. We need a safe community. It's not a mayor's job, an elected mayor's job, to tell the police which law to enforce and which law not to enforce. I mean, that's a slippery slope as far as I'm concerned. Now, the guidance will come from the state. And so I'm, uh, I want us to be a safe city. The chief and I talk all the time about this, but this, it's, it's very easy for someone to say, I'll tell the chief not to enforce this law or to enforce this law but I think it's a dangerous precedent. About a minute left. What is the biggest piece of unfinished business that you would like to get done in, in the next four years if you're uh, reelected? Well, I have a few things that I'm uh, working on and that are on my list that, of course, I'm, we focus every day on safety. I've, we've, you know, we continue to have that as our focus. Safety, quality of life, those kinds of things, healthy economy. I have a space study that's about to start for a new government building. 
Now this has been talked about for decades, and I would like to see that through. This will tell us how much space we really need as a government. We have our a fun thing coming up in a couple years, our 250th anniversary. I think our city's ready to celebrate that. And all the while keeping Lexington a wonderful place for people to live and to raise their families, that sort of thing. And we just, we've got so many good things building trails. We're about to open the Town Branch Commons Trail next week and a lot of good things. So. Appreciate you coming by. Yes, thank, thank you, you very, very much. much. And uh, if folks want to see our uh, interview with uh, David Kloiber from last week's Kentucky Newsmakers, that is on WKYT.com. Back with Gary Ginn, Fayette County Coroner, in just a moment. Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers. Voters will be deciding lots of races next month, including for Fayette County Coroner. In Kentucky, the coroner makes a ruling on cause of death if it's not readily apparent, notifies family members, and has initial custody of remains. Gary Ginn has been the Fayette County Coroner since 2003, and he's the Democratic nominee for re-election. Last week, his Republican opponent, Larry Owens, was here. Today, we welcome Mr. Ginn to Kentucky Newsmakers. Thanks for coming. We appreciate it very much. I Appreciate the invitation. Uh, you're asking the voters to give you another four years uh, in an office that uh, most people would have no interest in, probably, uh, in holding. Uh, what do you uh, think you provide to the community as, uh, as coroner? I think integrity, honesty, compassion, um, all of these things I ran on in my very first election. Um, and the voters have, have re-elected me for five terms, and I'm, I'd like to have the sixth term. Um, things that uh, I look at is I've continued to grow the office. I've got a great team that's working for me. Uh, we have hundreds of hours of education as well as thousands of hours of experience and I think both of those things really count when it's the corner um, and it's not like they don't count in other offices but when you're doing a specific job as we are in investigating people's deaths um, accidental homicide suicide and a lot of natural deaths as well but we have to get all those right hundred percent of the time and that's what our goal is and I think we're still striving, uh, striving to do that. The qualifications uh, in the Constitution are pretty minimal for a coroner, but uh, they run the gamut in Kentucky from a medical doctor in Louisville who uh, has decades of experience in uh, forensics uh, to funeral home personnel in a lot of our uh, counties. Uh, when you know that a case is getting complicated or that it could have uh, legal or criminal implications, uh, how do you bump up your response? Well, rather than just one deputy go out, I will always go out uh, if I'm available. Sometimes I might be out of town, but um, I will try to go out on as many uh, unnatural deaths at scene that I possibly can. Um, more eyes that we have there, the better off it is. Um, myself and my deputies work very well with the uh, current uh, firefighters, police, Kentucky State Police, Sheriff's Office. We work with out-of-town uh, agencies as well because a lot of people are brought in uh, to the University of Kentucky, which is a level one trauma treatment center, um, and then they have the misfortune of dying there of some uh, trauma death or accidental death. So we work well with all those folks. Another thing that I've done and implemented back in 2014 is um, myself and my entire staff 
are certified death investigators. So we are certified through the American Board of Medical Legal Death Investigators, and it's a requirement now I've put in their job requirements that once they've been at the office for two years, they have to be tested and qualify and get certified in order to be a death investigator. We were the first office in the Commonwealth of Kentucky to achieve that, and I'm very proud of that. You have told me that an interesting phenomenon is that uh, cremations are on the increase, and that requires the coroner's signature. Uh, in For why? Well, occasionally, uh, well, we'll have a document that comes across, uh, which is called the Provisional Report of Death. And there's a uh, we have to sign off on that before the crematory will allow the cremation to happen. The family actually signs authorization of their loved one, but that's a checkpoint for us to look and investigate that individual's death in order to make sure that it was not a coroner's case. Occasionally, we will find a um, individual that should have been a coroner's case. So we hold everything until we are able to document what has happened through maybe police agencies, the hospital, uh, different, uh, different ambulance services will be a, a great source of that, where the accident happened, different things like that. So you might, in other words, basically hold the body as evidence, for evidence, until uh, it's all cleared up. Absolutely, because uh, a lot, the, the evidence is there, it, it, the cause and manner of death is there. Do you think all death notifications uh, need to be done in person by your office? I do, but in today's world that can't happen. Um, I try, as soon as we get a death notification or if we have our own death notification, I try to make sure that we are very diligent and go to the addresses that we're able to find. In today's world, a lot of times all we'll find is a uh, cell phone um, and it has mom or dad's number on it, wife, um, and a lot of times we don't know the address of the individual. People are mobile today, um, so it's horrible, and I would, I've never wanted to do that, but occasionally we will have to call and make that notification. When your office uh, fails to, to, to meet your standard uh, for compassion with people or, or in any other way, uh, how do you handle that? I bring the individual in and speak with them just simply because uh, I want to be a one-on-one. -on -one. I don't like to call people to, to uh, call them out on anything. Um, I think that my entire staff is, has compassion. Um, I believe we try to do the, the very best that we possibly can. Uh, I am always open, if someone has a complaint, to let me know and I will handle the complaint as I see fit. How has the job changed in the last few years and we have seen an increase both in overdoses, certainly since the pandemic, and in homicides the last couple of years in Lexington? Well, I brought a few numbers. Um, our community has grown as well, so our natural deaths have, have uh, continued to grow as well. Um, just a couple of statistics. In 2008, our caseload was 500. Um, in uh, 2021, so it's completed, our caseload is now 1,017. Cremations in 2008 was 653. And last year, in 2001, we authorized 2,612 cremations. Overdoses concern me so much because these are individuals um, that should have never died. Uh, and fentanyl is very uh, alarming. When, 
when, uh, when you have fentanyl in any type of drug, um, I see people who cannot react that they'll have their own Narcan ready to go that they want to Narcan themselves. And when they, when they uh, either snort, uh, snuff, or take the, the whatever uh, drug that they have and it's with fentanyl, uh, death is immediate. These deaths should never happen. In 2008, we had 29 overdoses, and in 2021, we had 196. This is, as we said, an elective office. Do you find uh, voters receptive to hearing about the coroner's race? Do most people out there realize that it is a, an elected office? And by the way, your opponent in the race calls for term limits. He, you know, you, you have been there almost 20 years. Do you feel that experience outweighs uh, uh, maybe a fresh set of eyes? Well, um, my office, I don't look at it as, as uh, political. I can't change laws. Um, I can't do a whole lot. Uh, if anything, it should be uh, a nonpartisan. But it is what it is. And to change that's kind of like an act of Congress, the old people say. Um, I don't think that there should be terms because, like I've mentioned to you, um, I have a lot of education. I'm also a licensed funeral director in New Bombers. So I've got that education. I worked in the College of Medicine and I helped medical students, dental students, PAs and PTs with their dissection of the human body. So I've got all that experience there as well. Um, and then hundreds of hours through the uh, DOCJT, the Department of Criminal Justice, where we receive our training. Um, and then there's been out of town trainings out of state. I've got a certificate from the University of Tennessee or the body farm where I did a retrieval of remains on the surface as well as burial. Um, I could go on and on. So I don't think the public would want to get rid, and I think it would be a shame for the public to have to get rid of the person that has experience and education and continues to enjoy, if you will, uh, doing what I'm doing. And, I, and, and I'm still as enthused about working for Fayette County as I was the first day I took office. Here again, the Fayette County Coroner, thanks for coming. We appreciate it. And again, uh, his opponent, uh, Larry Owens, was with us last week. And if you'd like to see that interview, it is online under Kentucky Newsmakers on WKYT.com. We're back in just a moment.